Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Um, hey, we love to celebrate the truth of God's Word, and so if you have your Bible with us this morning, uh, turn to Acts chapter 6 and help us celebrate that. God has been good to give us His truth to live by, and so we want to make sure that we, uh, we hold it in high esteem and that we always celebrate who He is and what He's done. Uh, we are doing a teaching series right now called Stay the Course, and we're looking at things that we call the seven essentials uh, to be a disciple-making church. We believe that uh, we've been called to this, uh, not just because it's something we're passionate about, because it's what Jesus told us to do. Uh, he said to go and make disciples of all nations, and so that's our uh, core responsibility as a church, is to make disciples. But that is a long and arduous and tedious process to make disciples and to grow in that as a church. And so there needs to be things that uh, along the way help keep us focused, help keep us centered and act as guardrails, so to speak, so that we don't get off track in the things that God has called us to do and what we're supposed to be doing. So these essentials, if you've missed a service or missed one of our, our uh, times throughout this series, you can go back and catch them on our website. But these essentials just help us stay connected to God's purpose to make disciples of all nations. And so the first week we talked about abiding in Christ and what it means to abide in Him, to follow Him, and then to, uh, to share our faith to reach the lost. That's the second essential. And then shepherding people toward spiritual maturity. Uh, and last week we talked about chasing the strays. What happens when people go missing or when people uh, stop attending church or aren't connected to the body life anymore? What are we supposed to do in that uh, time? And so today we're going to talk about functioning as a team. That's one of the guardrails, one of the essentials that helps us make disciples of Jesus is that we function as a team. And so in Acts chapter 6, if you'll just read this along with me, I want you to see what's taking place here. And uh, it starts out, Luke is writing, he says, in those days, that being the time period right after Pentecost when the church is exploding in growth and there's all kinds of cool things happening. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the original disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa, just kidding, Parmenas. <laughs> Parmenas. And Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. And so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Right? And so when we think about this, one of the questions we need to ask this morning is, what does functioning as a team have to do with making disciples? Well, have you ever been on a really good team before? Anybody been on a great team, just one you really enjoyed being on? Maybe it was a work-related team, maybe a sports team, uh, maybe something else, maybe a team in the church that you've been a part of. Man, good teams uh, really bring a lot of life to you, right? Anybody ever been on a bad team? 
you didn't win a lot, people hated each other, there was discord uh, among you, you know, like bad stuff, right? I've been on some bad teams myself uh, growing up playing sports, even in seminary. One of the worst teams I was ever on was in seminary, believe it or not. People who should love Jesus, but didn't. And um, so uh, we were in a group project one time, and we were supposed to present this chapter to our whole class, and we had been put in groups by the, uh, the, the professor, and, uh, and we had five guys in our group, well, Two of us showed up for all the meetings and worked really hard and tried to figure out how to present this stuff. The other three guys never showed up for anything. And then on presentation day, it comes around and they show up to class like they're going to jump up there and just do their job, having no clue what's going on, right? And the presentation was terrible. Worst team ever. So we had to go to the professor and be like, look, you've got to understand, we met together and we did this stuff and we worked on our presentation and we were ready and prepared. And these guys, they did not do what they were supposed to do. And we had to beg him for a grade and just going, you've got to help us out here, right? And thankfully, he was merciful on us and he did. He helped us out and those other guys, they're not in the church anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, that's terrible. I'm sorry. Um, but when you start to think about this and go, how does this relate? When you talk about a team, you think about basketball, football, baseball, whatever. Maybe it's another team, a team at work you've been on. How does that relate to making disciples of Jesus? And so one of the things that we see, if you've been in church very long, maybe you've gone to a church before that, man, things didn't function very well as a team in the church. The staff didn't get along, or there was dissension between the elders and the staff team, or people in the church just didn't like each other. They were always arguing, and nobody could agree on what color the carpet was supposed to be. Ever been to one of those? I did. And so, uh, you know, it's just like one of those things where you go, man, it's just not working. There's always discord. There's always jealousy. There's always dissension. There's always factions among the people. And it's just not a good environment. And then if you look and say, man, but when I've been a part of a church that really does things well, it goes much better. I bet if you look back on some of those churches, maybe if you've been a part of that, and I hope you haven't, but if you have, you look back and you go, you know what? With all the mess that was going on, people were always arguing and fighting among themselves to the point that I bet if you look back, you would look and say, there really wasn't any discipleship that was going on. There were no strong disciples of Jesus that were coming out of that church. Because all everybody was concerned about was how to fight and what they needed to get to get their way. And so when we look at this, we go, in the first church, we see that actually start to happen. When we think about the church in Acts, most of the time we go, man, that was pr probably first century in Jerusalem, led by the apostles, best church ever. I bet they had no problems. I mean, there were miracles that were taking place. 3,000 people on one day became believers of Jesus, and so that's pretty cool. They would fellowship together. They would go into people's homes. They would eat bread and fellowship. They would listen to the apostles' teaching. I mean, how much better does it get than that, right? Like you're going, would much rather have the apostles' teachings than you, pastor. And so that would have been a cool place to be. Uh, then they're, they're sharing their stuff with one another. Nobody's in need. And you just look at that environment and you go, that's the perfect church. But we see pretty early on, that wasn't the perfect church. And so let me just read one verse here to see what's going on. In verse 1, he says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews. Now, these are Greek-speaking Jews who had uh, become believers in Jesus, they were probably in Jerusalem traveling from out of the region, out of the area to come and make their voyage to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And when they had come to Pentecost, they heard the gospel. Remember the disciples were able to speak and everyone heard the gospel in their own languages. 
which is pretty miraculous in and of itself. And it says, and these guys, they had become believers in Jesus. So the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Now, these were the local Jewish people. They were the ones that lived in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. They spoke the language. They were the native people right there. And it says they were in disagreement with one another because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So one group is getting their widows taken care of. The other group is going, nobody's doing anything to feed our widows. We're not doing a good job of taking care of them. And immediately you get the first complaints that get lodged against the church. And they do the exact same thing that we all do when there's a problem in the church, right? It's time to email the pastor. We got to send out some emails. We're going to let him know what's going on. It's time to file my, my complaint. And that's what happens. Because they didn't email each other, but they went right to the, the disciples and they go, there's this complaint that's popped up and we wanted this to be the perfect church and it's not the perfect church and what are we going to do about this? And by the way, if you're looking for the perfect church, you haven't found it today. For one, two reasons. Number one, you're here. N number two, I'm here. And none of us are perfect, right? Right? And so when you come into an environment, you go, well, our last church, we didn't really get along with them. Or I don't even know if I like church or not. I don't even know why I'm here today, to be honest with you. This is kind of a weird thing for me to, today. And I'm maybe just checking out to see if these people are as crazy as I thought they were. The answer is yes. And so you look at all of this and you go, there is no such thing as a perfect church. Because the church is made up of people. And there's no such thing as perfect people. And as long as there's imperfections among us, there's going to be imperfections among us. Right? And so with that being the scenario and the situation in the background, he goes, these people came and they complained. And the church had grown overnight and had just exploded in growth. So one group of widows is not being taken care of. The other one is the church's food pantry, whether it was specifically intentionally not taking care of them, prejudiced against one group, helpful toward the other, or if they had just become lazy in their job, the food pantry wasn't doing a good job. And so these, these group of people come to the disciples and go, hey, there's, there's a problem. We need to complain about this. And as more people come into the church, we often find that to be the, the issue, is that more people, more problems. You remember the song, More Money, More Problems? <laughs> Same thing with people. More money, more problems. More people, more problems. You get people around each other, and there's just going to be problems. But I love how they deal with it. They don't sweep it under the rug. They don't try to make light of it. They don't just try to go, okay, well, let's pretend like we're not going to hurt each other's feelings. Let's deal with it head on. And so they did. And I love this. The first notes on your outline, if you're taking notes, like to follow along on our app, the Uversion app, or if you want to write some things down, just write this. Teams are often born out of difficult circumstances. Teams tend to be born out of difficult circumstances. Uh, for us, not too long ago, we had a great opportunity. Um, our church began participating two years ago in something we call Generosity Sunday. If you're new to us, uh, once a year, we collect an offering in church and we tell everybody, none of this money is going to go to our budget. It's not going to go to support our staff. It's not going to take care of our building. Everything given today is going to go out into the community and back out into the world. And so once a year, we do that. Typically around February, we have what's called Generosity Sunday. And the first year that we did that, the staff had all of this money that had come in, and we were starting to sit around and going, who, what should we do with this? This is a major blessing. The church gave lots and lots of money. This is incredible. Who do we help? Who do we bless? And it just took a lot of time among our staff and our elders. And honestly, not to sound you know, bad or anything, but it just wasn't something we were passionate about. And it ate into our time, and we were kind of consumed with this thing about going, okay, now what do we do with this money? How do we distribute it and handle this to do it well? 
So this year, when we came back to that same thing and had Generosity Sunday, we went, we need this year a team. We need a team of people that can help with disseminating these funds, getting this out to the right places, taking care of people, meeting needs. And so we brought a team of people together, and they did a phenomenal job of finding ministries, finding individuals, finding groups and organizations to support, finding things here in our city to just bless them. And it was so incredible. So from that team, then we started looking and going, you know what, we also have a lot of benevolence requests that come into our church every single year, every week. And so we started looking at that team and going, will you guys also help us handle some of this benevolent need? Because when people have needs, they come to us, and we want to do as much as we can to help as many people as we can. But quite honestly, sometimes it's just a drag on our week and our time, and it takes us away from the things we're supposed to be focusing on. And as these people have stepped into that role and given leadership to that, it's been such a blessing. More people have been helped more quickly and better than when the staff was trying to do all of that ourselves. Because we gave it away. And we just said, this is how you can serve. Use your gifts, use your passions, use your abilities to go and to serve. So that's incredible. And the apostles kind of felt that same tension when the complaint was lodged about feeding the widows. And so if you look at verse 2, here's what they said. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, Look, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait, and, uh, to wait on tables. And so the apostles recognized the problem, but they also knew their calling. And they go, here's the problem. We know it. We see it. Nobody's getting taken care of. They're not being fed. We need to make sure that gets taken care of. But that's not going to be what we're supposed to do. Jesus called us to study his word, to pray, to specifically teach people, making disciples. And if we give that up to wait on tables, we're going to neglect what God's called us to do and specifically qualified us to do. And so it's not that the disciples are going, hey, you know what, that's below us. We're not, that's not a good ministry for us. Those people, they'll find another way to take care of themselves. They're not trying to say we're better than them. We can't do that. They're just saying we know our calling. We know our focus. And if we step away from that to serve the widows, then the widows are going to get taken care of, but all this other stuff that's our responsibility is not going to get done. For our church, we have a great ministry here. Andy highlighted it a little while ago. Next supper. We partner with a ministry here in town, Hunger First, and twice a week we make meals for people. We have a kitchen team that makes meals for people. We feed 200 homeless people every week. Your uh, generosity to our budget helps us to do that. And so we make these meals every week. But you know what I love about that? The team that serves back there does an incredible job every single week. But nobody on that team has ever come to me and said, Pastor, we just are mad at you because you never come back and cook. You, you never are back there. You don't do what we're doing. Don't you think this ministry is important, Pastor? Shouldn't you be back here with us? Nobody ever comes and says that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I could burn water. You would not want me in the kitchen <laughs> cooking. But number two, the people who serve in that capacity, they know that I love them. They know that I support them. And they know that when they're here cooking, I'm usually in my office studying, getting ready to preach, leading meetings, having teams that are meeting doing the things that I'm uniquely qualified to do and called to do here at this church. And so they don't ask me to cook, and I don't ask Brent to preach. Right? Brent's the head of our team. He would do a great job if I asked him. I'm not going to, but he would do a great job. But in the same way that they don't go, Pastor, why don't you ever come back here? I don't go, why don't you guys ever preach on Sunday morning? I'll come cook if you preach. That's not what they're called to do. 
And so we help each other and we function better when we carry our primary responsibilities. Uh, so the apostles, they devised a strategy for the health of the growing church and the purpose of continuing to make disciples. And here's their strategy. They go, look, we need to build a team. We need somebody that's going to help us out because there's some needs that are being neglected. So let's build a team. So here's verse 3. It says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The apostles know that they're best equipped to pray, to study the Word, to speak the Word, to spread the Word of God through abiding with Christ and through prayer. So they assign the group of people who come with the complaint to, make seven, to, t- to select seven men to serve the needs that they had discovered and to make disciples. And each of us has been gifted in different ways and been given different passions. Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's a lengthy passage, but I want us to read it together just to see this this morning. Here's what, he, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. He said, now, about the gifts of the spirits, brothers and, or the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given the Spirit... uh, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these work in one, are, are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. And just as a body... Though it's one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form just one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, like Mike Wazowski, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Right, and so the next thing for your island, if you're taking notes and want to follow along, is just this, that the great thing about a team is that we can do more together. We need each other. In the same way that a body's not whole if it's lacking a part, and it can't function the right way if it's lacking something. Because this, the same thing is true in the church. When you don't bring your giftings and your spirit-given gifts to the table within the church, We're missing something. We want and need everyone to bring what God has given to them and bless them with to the table and say, this is my church and I want to be a part of this team and we're all going to function together. And we're going to do that for the purpose of making disciples. 
We function as a team to make disciples of Jesus. We can't say, man, what if there was a mouth? What if I was up here on stage as the mouth, but there was nobody sitting in the pews? We're not making disciples. What if I've got the gift of wisdom, but there's no one to share that with? What if I can teach, but there's no one to listen and learn? We need each other. And to function as a team, we can do more together. And so here's some things that I love about how the apostles handled the selection of the seven men who were called deacons. Uh, And we're just going to look at these four things quickly. And then here's the great thing about today, especially if you're a first-time guest with us today. We're going to dismiss from service early today. Yay! You came on the right Sunday. Um, We want people to check out the teams that we're talking about today out in our gathering area. We want you to know what's available, where you can serve, where you can plug in, how you can get involved, to talk to our ministry team leaders. And so we're going to dismiss a little bit early to be able to go out there and do that. But before we dismiss, I want us to look at these four things that the apostles do to handle the selection of the seven. Here's number one. They let the people have responsibility to select the leaders. They don't say, okay, you presented this problem, now we'll find some people and we'll handle this and we'll take care of it and we'll do, we'll do, we'll do. They say, you know what? We don't want to micromanage this process. You guys identified a problem. We also want you to be part of the solution. So you guys need to find seven people and you need to bring them onto the team and give them the responsibility of taking care of the widows. So our job as a church, we try to be similar in this strategy as a church, as elders, as staff, not to micromanage things here. That we don't try to have our hands in every single thing's going on, telling everybody what to do. We want there to be freedom among our teams. So one example of that might be for our, our men's ministry team who goes, you know what, we're supposed to be doing this. We've got a men's ministry. We're not going to them and saying, okay, guys, here's the Bible study you're going to do, and here's the event you're going to have this fall, and here's... We're not telling them how to do that. We go, you guys have a men's ministry. You need to give leadership to that. What are you going to study this year? What are you going to do this year? How's that going to function? How's it going to operate? Let's be as healthy as we can. Right, that's just one example. But every single team in our church, we don't want to micromanage everything. We want to just empower people to do what God has called them to do. And if there are times that we start stepping on toes and micromanaging, we need to have a conversation about that because that's not our heart. It's not what we want to do. Our job as leaders, as elders and staff team, is to provide vision forward to where we're going ultimately as a church and to say this is where we want everyone to be moving toward. And to always, always, always be reminding every single ministry what you're doing, whether it's feeding people in the kitchen or leading a Bible study group, everything we're doing is about making disciples of Jesus. Don't lose focus of that. So that's our job is to constantly bring people back to the table. But the the leadership responsibility is given over to the people to select their leaders and to run the ministry. Here's number two. The apostles set the expectation for what good team members look like. Now, in corporate America, if this problem had come up and we had said, okay, we got some people who aren't being fed and being taken care of, this is probably how it would have gone down for most of you in your job settings, right? You would have said, okay, we need to find people who, uh, who love widows and who have a passion for that. We need to find people who know how to run spreadsheets really well, and we need to make sure that everybody's in a database and that nobody falls through the cracks, and we got to take care of everybody, and we need to make sure that everyone has at least five years of experience with this type of ministry, and we're going to plug people in. And the disciples, the apostles, when they come around to this, they don't give all of those requirements. They go, okay, here's the expectation. Here's what you guys need to be looking for. You're going to select seven men. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit, and they need to be filled with wisdom. I don't care if you think they would be better fitted to serve with the youth ministry. 
If they're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, you plug them into the food pantry. God will take care of the rest, and he'll lead them the right way. And so they get this expectation. They set the expectation. And he says in verse 3, Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who will be known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn the responsibility over to them. We're just going to turn it over. What more do they need? If they're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, they don't need us breathing down their neck telling them everything to do. They just need to be given freedom to go and to serve. They know the job. They know the task. Let's empower them. So for us, one of the things that I wanted to recognize this morning as we talk about these things in in team, I'm privileged to serve on a great staff team here at the church, and we're so blessed with the guys who serve here. And so here's what I want you to know, a couple of things that we just want to recognize this morning. Number one, uh, August 1st, just this past week, uh, we celebrated Andy Malcolm's two-year anniversary of serving at our church. He's been serving on staff now for two years. He was an elder before that and uh, has been a part of this church for a long time, but he's been on our staff team for two years. And so, man, thank you so much for your service. We appreciate you. Glad you're on the team. Next week, we'll be celebrating Nathan Ellis and uh, Kyle Thurman's one-year anniversary uh, for being here. So it's awesome to have you guys, Um, mostly to have Kyle, but Nathan, you too. We're glad you're here, man. Um, And we're so glad, so glad you're on our, our team and appreciate you guys so much. But when we function as a team well, disciples get made. We wouldn't be where we are as a church if it hadn't been for the leadership of Andy. We wouldn't be where we are as a church if it hadn't been for Nathan, if it hadn't been for Kyle. This is not a one-person gig. It's a team, and we need each other. Uh, Here's number three. They chose people from the team based on relationships. Now, remember the goal is making disciples of Jesus. So the people chose these men because they knew their character. They had seen the change Jesus had made in their hearts and their lives, and they said, because we know these guys, we're going to give them leadership responsibility. So teams get people into relationships, and relationships are vital for making disciples. Like you cannot make disciples of Jesus outside of a relationship with people. Jesus has called us into relationship, and when we put people into team environments, it helps to get them around in groups and around other people where disciples are being made. So we want to function as a team. Here's the last thing. Uh, Number four, the final thing the apostles did to establish this team is they prayed for the leaders. Look at verse 7. Uh, no, excuse me, look at verse 6. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, there's no way as a church that we can overstate the power of prayer. That every single team in our church needs to be prayed for, every single staff person in our team needs to be prayed for, every elder needs to be prayed for, every volunteer needs to be prayed for. It's important to pray. And the apostle said, when we're getting ready to launch this new team to give them responsibility, we're going to lay our hands on them, we're going to pray for them, and then we're going to send them out to do what God's equipped them and called them to do. So for us, we need to understand the results when we function this way and what can happen. That's what we see in verse 7. He says, so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And how powerful is that? That when the apostles didn't try to do everything, when they gave responsibility away, when they formed other teams and functioned within those teams, and they said, you guys are going to be responsible for going and doing this, these guys took the gospel message with them as they went out to serve, and disciples were made of Jesus rapidly. The church just grew exponentially as responsibility was given away. And so for us, 
We need to look at it and see and understand this. The deacons that were formed, they didn't just take and go, okay, we got to feed people, so let's just do our job, make sure everybody's fed, and we'll be good with that. They didn't say, you know what, let's just turn this into a social justice platform and let's make sure that everybody in Jerusalem is, is fed and that their stomachs are full. Can you imagine if the deacons, the original deacons of this church, if they'd have said, let's just make sure everybody gets fed and their stomachs are full, but we leave their spirits empty. We don't feed their soul. We don't worry about nourishing their soul, that eternal part of them is going to be with God forever. Can you imagine what would have happened? The outcome would have been radically different. And so for us, the same thing needs to be understood, that whatever ministry we have, it's not about just, just giving people a cup of water in Jesus' name. It's about sharing the gospel of Jesus with people. We make disciples when we share the gospel. The song that we sang a little while ago, I love to tell the story. When we tell the story of what Jesus has done for us, we make disciples of Jesus by proclaiming his love for them, that God loves them so much that he sent his son to come to this earth to die, to give his life as a sacrifice for their sins so that they don't have to be separated from God for eternity, but that they can be in relationship with him forever. So that's what takes place. Here's the last thing. To make disciples, we must function as many units, serving as one team, pursuing one mission. And that's our call. Go and make disciples. That's the one mission. The church doesn't have many missions. The church has many purposes, but has one mission, make disciples. So functioning as a team helps us to stay on course to do that. We're many units, a lot of teams in our church we're all functioning toward one end goal, make disciples. So as we dismiss this morning, I want you guys to take a look at this card that you were handed when you came in. At the top, it just says, team, we can do more together. And I'm not going to read this to you, but there are all kinds of different ministry teams that are available here. That within our church, maybe God will be calling you to say, man, I, I want to serve in that capacity. I want to be there. I've been coming to the church for a while. I've been enjoying this. I've been blessed by teams that have served me. But now it's time for me to get plugged in, get connected, and serve myself. And so we want to encourage you today to prayerfully start considering where God might want you to serve and how you can use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, what the Holy Spirit has specifically gifted you to do and equipped you to do, that you can bring your part to the table and say, I want to be a part of this. I want to minister here. I want to serve here. And I want to get connected and plugged in so that the body of Jesus is edified. And so here's what we would ask you to do. Fill this out. And mark the box that you're interested in. Outside in the gathering area, when we dismiss in just a minute, there's going to be tables out there where the ministry team leaders from these ministries are going to be. We'd love to encourage you just to go up and hand this to them and say, I'm interested in serving. We'll communicate with you. We'll get back in touch. If you check multiple boxes, try to get multiple things so that each team leader can get one so that we don't have to figure out how to pass them along. That gets a little bit awkward. We didn't do that in the first service, but we'll do it better this time. Um, but if you've got multiple things you're interested in, just try to put your name and check that box in a way that we can contact you and give it to the specific ministry team leader that serves in that ministry area, okay? I want us to pray together. And as we do, I want to ask you to pray, to pray this way. God, what is it that you're calling me to be a part of? What have you gifted me for through the power of your Holy Spirit to do that maybe I never even thought I had a passion for in the past. But it's about what you've called me to and gifted me to do. And so 
would you just ask God prayerfully as we pray and close what you're supposed to be doing to plug in and to serve? And just see what he says. It may, it may, um, you may find it curious what God asks you to do that you've never considered before, that you never thought you were qualified or capable of doing. But maybe today God has something for you that he wants to show you and call you out to something new where he can use you for his purposes. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.